On New Year's Day, 1927, Hollywood might have been a little too hungover to notice the meeting of four men. Among them, a New Brunswick boy who made good, Louis B. Mayer. It was here that the idea was floated to begin a mutually beneficial industry organization, a group that would pitch in and work together to celebrate the magic of Hollywood. It would oh so loftily dub itself the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Its most notable legacy is the Academy Awards. The first Oscar ceremony would be held on May 16, 1929. 250 guests paid $5 apiece for their place in the Blossom Room of the Roosevelt Hotel. Douglas Fairbanks dispensed 15 small gold statues. It took him just 10 minutes. So was born a glittering Hollywood legacy. One night in the year when the stars shine just a little brighter, where every man and woman are prince and princess. The one night when dreams really do come true. Sweetheart, that was dynamite, kid. Wake up! That, at least, is the Hollywood version. Solidarity forever. Strictly between us, Mayer and his colleagues formed the Academy to help mediate growing labor unrest in the film industry. With unions forming among film technicians, Mayer hoped it might prevent actors, directors, and writers from organizing. But for Louis B. Mayer, who would, in the 30s, be recognized as America's highest paid businessman, the whole union-stopping thing didn't work out so well. But what did take off were those same Academy Awards. The task of conferring awards of merit for distinctive achievements was way down at number five on the Academy's original list of seven goals. All but ignored in the press at first, the Academy Awards have grown to become the most glamorous, most prestigious, most conspicuous distinction on the planet. And very possibly, the most powerful. And that's saying something. Because today, there are awards for almost everything. My name is Terry O'Reilly. Strap on your best Bob Mackie gown with the two-sided tape and join me as we examine the mysterious power that resides in just two words, award-winning. We'll explore the power wielded by those who receive awards and by those who give them. I'll show you how awards make and break careers, pummel and massage egos, and influence millions, perhaps billions of dollars in spending, in the age of persuasion. Read my lips. I've fallen and I can't get up. Don't be a square. The only thing we have to fear is a bull's testicle. Better yet, two bull testicles. And now, Terry O'Reilly and the Age of Persuasion. Oh, the humanity. Cops, Dyson's, Menses. Ah! It's that simple. Got a second? 
I want you to sit down at the computer and Google the phrase award-winning. Go ahead, I'll wait. See that? Round about 70 million hits. Over the past half century, the world has become overrun with awards. Let's illustrate that point. Behind this door... The World Food Prize. The John Hobbs Medal in Ornithology. The Red Dot Design Award. The Billiard Congress of America Hall of Fame. Our colleague Mike Tennant is attempting to read a list of every award we were able to source. We'll check back with him later. Every day, we award one another every distinction imaginable. We have everything from award-winning dentists, to award-winning toilet seats, to award-winning office supply companies, to, wait for it, award-winning radio ads, like this. Wonder Bra, the original push-up bra. Believe it or not, a spot like that is not why Marshall McLuhan called radio a hot medium. He called it hot because it tends to convey a great deal of information compared to other media. Yet this spot dispenses information with an eyedropper. A sparse handful of sound effects tell you you're hearing a woman headed to her car in a parking lot. You know it's a woman because you hear high heels on concrete. You know she's getting in. Then, only with the announcer tag are you given the information you need to understand how, exactly, she came to lean on the horn. It's a funny spot. Or not. It's effective. Or not. For the purpose of this conversation, it's award-winning honored at both the Cannes Festival and the Clio Awards, two of the most prestigious shows in my business, and just two of dozens of major award shows within the marketing industry. Does winning an award mean that an ad is effective? We'll leave the lid on that kettle of fish just a little longer. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a very interesting item up for bid. If you were in Chicago in early August of 2006 and had some time to kill, you might have popped by Maestro Auctions, where an extraordinary event unfolded. On the block was the Academy Award trophy presented to director Leo McCary for the 1944 Bing Crosby picture, Going My Way. The opening bid was taken at $25,000 before the auction was halted. Seems McCary's daughter, Mary, yup, it's a girl, let's call her Mary McCary, claimed that she still had all three of the Oscar statues her father had won. The statue up for auction was a counterfeit, and a pretty good one. It's a curious footnote to a much bigger story, that in the age of persuasion, awards have become a powerful currency, whose value, in some cases, can be measured to the last penny. You're the top, you're the Coliseum. Economists reckon that a Best Picture Oscar can add anywhere from $20 million to $50 million to a film's box office take, never mind what it might add to DVD sales. 
Even an Oscar nomination can mean a serious box office spike and put a nominee on the map. An Emmy Award might boost an actor's fee or even save a show from cancellation. Nobel Prizes often lead to plum jobs. A Pulitzer Prize might translate to a hefty book advance. Televised awards can serve as a commercial for an entire industry. Arts and humanitarian and industry awards help motivate, celebrate and energize its players. And sometimes awards are just an excuse for a party. With no apparent downside, it's no wonder the list of awards grows exponentially. The Norma Fleck Award. The William T. Twenhofel Medal for Sedimentary Geology. The Korean Supreme Order of the Hibiscus. See what I mean? But if you want to believe that cashing in on the culture of awards is a new idea, well, guess again, baby. Suppose it's 2,500 years ago, and you're the new Pancration champ at the Olympics. Pancration was the extreme fighting of ancient times. Biting and eye gouging were a no-no, but breaking fingers and kneeing groins were okay. Winning wouldn't earn you any cash, or even a medal. What you would get is a snappy crown made of olive leaves, and maybe a nice statue in your honor. In those days, Nike was a mere goddess. So don't get any wild ideas about a six-figure sandal endorsement deal. But that didn't mean you couldn't cash in. Even then, Olympic champions were the toast of the town. Hungry? Don't even reach for that change pouch, pal. Your drachmas are no good here. And the Ratsinas on the house. Olympic champions were wined and dined. They get the finest seats at the theater and at festivals. One town even built a gym for its champion wrestler to train in. Ancient Olympic champions discovered that an award could be leveraged, but only on a modest scale. That is, until the turn of the 20th century. The Industrial Revolution was shifting into fifth gear. The modern age of persuasion had begun. Mass communication was making the world a little chummier. It was in this fertile ground that the world began to catch the awards bug. In 1896, the Olympic Games were revived. But this time, hometown heroes would become world celebrities. This was also the era of Alfred Nobel, the man who gave the world dynamite. Nobel had come to regret the way his invention was used for war and destruction, especially when a French newspaper, mistakenly believing Nobel had died, wrote, Le Marchand de la Mort est mort. The merchant of death is dead. That did it. Nobel changed his will, allotting his fortune to a series of prizes awarded to those who bettered the world. The chosen disciplines were physics, chemistry, literature, peace, and medicine. In 1968, Sweden's central bank tacked on a sixth prize for economics. In 1917, Joseph Pulitzer bequeathed a similar set of prizes for achievement in journalism, literature, and music composition. 
a new breed of global celebrities emerged. They were gold medalists, Nobel laureates, Pulitzer Prize winners. A rarefied few on whom the sun shone just a little brighter. Their aura did not escape the attention of the mavens of modern persuasion. So it began, and through the 20th century, it grew. An explosion of new awards, tributes, and accolades. But don't take my word for it. Australian of the Year. The Order of Public Instruction of Portugal. The Edward R. Murrow Award. In the age of persuasion, the phrase award-winning is a calling card. It makes products sound better. Job candidates shine brighter. It makes books required reading, songs required listening, and films required viewing. Awards are persuasive, and persuasion is power, which begs a question. Just who is dispensing these awards, and where exactly do they get their authority? My name is Terry O'Reilly, and this is The Age of Persuasion. It was November 10, 1951. Sir Hugh Beaver, of the world-famous Guinness Brewery, was with a shooting party in Ireland's County Wexford. Lost in thought, he confronted a question that vexes each of us at some time or other. I wonder which is the faster bird, the golden plover or the grouse? Unable to find a reference book to resolve the question, Sir Hugh wondered if similar questions weren't raised nightly in thousands of pubs. Soon after, researchers Ross and Norris McWhorter were conscripted to create the first Guinness Book of World Records. Never meant to be a moneymaker, the book shot to the top of the bestseller lists in Ireland, the UK, then North America. A half century and a hundred million copies later, it claims a couple of its own records, as best-selling copyright book of all time, and for creating the world's shortest radio ad. Guinness record book. From Sir Hugh Beaver's musings about the relative speed of the golden plover, sprung an empire. Almost overnight, the Guinness book became the authority on world records. And the world record uh, for the world's fastest banjo player has never been set. Today, whether you're aspiring to set a record for banjo picking, eyebrow growing, or sheep shearing, a record isn't a record unless the folks at Guinness say so. In 1968, James David Power III founded a consumer information company, analyzing and ranking everything from automobiles to restaurants. Welcome to the J.D. Power Consumer Center. In this segment, we examine new vehicle quality. Today, automotive sales are made and broken on the strength of J.D. Power Awards. And suppose you want to choose a Canadian university for your kids. Why you run, don't walk, run to the newsstand for the annual Maclean's Magazine ranking of Canadian universities. Since 1990, Maclean's has painted itself as the authority in universities, sparing harried parents the unpleasant task of donning a blindfold and tossing a dart at a map. Only recently have some key schools opted to piddle on Maclean's parade, 
refusing to cooperate with the survey, complaining that its methodology is skewed. And who exactly endowed the Guinness Books, the J.D. Powers, and Maclean's magazines of the world with all this power? They did. That's who. There's a deep irony in the fact that the advertising industry, where so much time is spent leveraging the awards our clients win, is itself torn on the subject of awards. Not that it stops my industry from holding a lot of award shows. And don't take my word for it. Clio Awards, Mobius Awards, London International Advertising Awards. There's one camp that believes advertising awards are indulgent nonsense. A popularity contest rating entertainment value over effectiveness. Leading the charge was ad legend David Ogilvy, who objected to ad awards because they took the limelight away from clients. I remember one of the best ever flyers for an upcoming ad award show. The first page noted, David Ogilvy says award shows are for pretentious creative people. Then you opened it up and there was a glorious double page spread of a sprawling gothic castle. The second headline read, David Ogilvy lives in a castle with a moat. Which, to his dying day, he did. Me, I've attended them, I've won them, I've judged them. And it's my experience that awards juries are smart enough not to honor an ad it didn't find effective, no matter how entertaining it is. To me, ad awards at their best are like the Detroit Auto Show at its best, a chance to see the latest creative and peek ahead to where the industry is heading. And they're a regular, welcome, much-needed reminder of just how great the best advertising minds can be. The following is a message for parents. Before bringing your family to the Museum of Flight this spring, please be aware that our planes will exhibit none of the following behaviors. Planes don't viciously attack their handlers. Planes don't regurgitate food into the mouths of other planes. If your child were to hold a baby plane, the plane would not get excited and leak fuel all over your child. Touching a plane will not give you cooties. There is no danger of a plane escaping and breeding with other domestic planes in the area. Planes will not fiddle with their landing gear in front of your second grader. Planes don't eat their young. Planes will never empty their cargo hold into their hands and then fling it at you. What you will experience at the Museum of Flight is the thrill of piloting six different craft in our virtual reality flight simulators. Board Concorde and Air Force One. Work the controls in the cockpit of our Mach 3 Blackbird. See 85 other planes that have changed aviation history and much more. All without ever having to explain to your child the miracle of airplane husbandry. The Museum of Flight. Dream. Discover. Soar. Exit 158 off I-5. That spot's all about fresh thinking. It conveys a clever, fun attitude, leading to a description of displays and exhibits. Between the lines, it finds a memorable way of saying, don't head to the zoo by default, remember we're here. Award-winning ads are a hot commodity these days. They're shared on YouTube, packaged as TV specials, and screened in review cinemas. They're also just plain inspiring to ad folks like me. They're the best kind of contagion. When you see great work, you're filled with a desire to do great work. What strikes me about Ad Awards is that it may be the only creative competition where humor routinely trumps drama. Compare that to, say, the Academy Awards. Over the past half century, only one comedy, Annie Hall, has been honored as Best Picture. 
Ad Awards, on the other hand, routinely honor work like this. At Spa Bed VIP, we can clean up your pet. Your mind? You'll have to deal with that yourself. Spa Bed VIP. Pet grooming. 514-844-8111. It's all about context. Shamelessly suggestive music with a dim the lights vocal style takes you in one direction before a sober sounding announcer takes you 180 degrees the other way. Ad awards provide a much needed affirmation in a business built on a mountain of rejection. It's not uncommon in my business to have one idea accepted for every dozen pitched. The industry lives in a culture of no. Awards provide a much needed salve to the pummeled egos of the creative community. And with mediocrity ever pounding at the door, it's a reminder that great minds in all parts of the world struggle along the path less traveled. Awards reels show us how, with the right touch, even the most outrageous idea might be made palatable. You have the ability to protect your community from danger. You have the power to comfort the sick, to shield the lame. You can save a child trapped in a burning house by eating a bull's testicle. Would you do that? Would you eat a bull's testicle to save the scared, emaciated child? Of course you would. Why, you'd eat two bull's testicles at the same time, followed by two more bull testicles to help that child, to help all children. Well, now here's your chance to eat bull testicles at the Rocky Mountain Oyster Feed this Saturday, June 11th from 5 to 10 p.m. at Merrill Community Park in Eagle. All proceeds from the serving and eating of bull testicles support the Eagle Volunteer Firefighters Association. For more information about advanced tickets and eating bull testicles, log on to eaglefire.org. The Rocky Mountain Oyster Feed on June 11th. Have a ball, or two, because the solution is in your hands. That is, if you have a bull's testicle in your hands. Better yet, two bull testicles. Interesting thing about that ad. Like the Museum of Flight we played earlier, it doesn't use sound effects or soundscapes to paint a picture. But the true mastery of that spot, from agency foot Conan Belding, is the way it takes a wingnut idea, eating bull's testicles for charity, and matches it with just the right tone of humor. The announcer, with a glorious detachment in his read, treats the consumption of bull's testicles as perfectly normal, even empowering. That spot took best of show at the 2006 New York festivals. There was something I was supposed to remember. Oh yeah. The Albert Lasker Award for Clinical Medical Research. I think by now you get the idea that the world has become awards happy. In fact, if you laid all the awards in the world end to end, Somebody will probably give you an award for doing it. The Cy Young Award. Mike, you can stop now. Hmm? You can stop now. I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. What's endlessly fascinating to me is the unconditional reverence given the phrase award-winning, regardless of whether someone's won the Nobel Peace Prize or a Buckeye Newshawk Award. And don't get me started on the coveted Silver Sow. 
Awards are a marvelous way to celebrate things, but in hindsight are often a poor way to measure greatness. Consider film classics that never won Best Picture. The Wizard of Oz, To Kill a Mockingbird, High Noon, Citizen Kane, and less memorable films that did. Cimarron, Cavalcade, How Green Was My Valley, Mrs. Miniver. We leverage awards on our CVs, in business, and every day in advertising. People love to win awards. They love the affirmation of seeing their favorite music or films or shows win awards. They love the drama of seeing non-winners applaud graciously, while secretly grinding their teeth to a fine powder. Industries love awards as a motivator. Some real estate companies hand out plaques and trophies by the gross weight. And in advertising, as I always say, award show books are the great instruction manuals for young creative people. Award winning has become one of our most persuasive phrases, a phrase capable of generating enormous sales and interest, a currency undevalued despite today's glut of accolades, honors, titles, medals and distinctions. In my business, condos sell better with an award-winning design. Cars sound greener with award-winning fuel efficiency. Your headache vanishes a little quicker when you take award-winning pain relief. Where will it end? Hard to say. Though every day it seems harder to get award in edgewise in the Age of Persuasion. The Age of Persuasion is created and written by Terry O'Reilly who has won over 400 national and international advertising awards. And Mike Tennant, who combined with Terry O'Reilly, has won over 400 national and international advertising awards. Engineer, that Oscar-winning rabbit, Keith Oman. Title theme by Ari Posner and Ian Lefevre, voted by pirate staff as the two guys they'd least like to be stuck on an elevator with. The Age of Persuasion is produced for CBC Radio by Pirate Radio and Television Toronto. Thank you.